Good morning. If you want to turn your Bibles to the book of Colossians. We'll be there momentarily. Book of Colossians. It's so good to be with you this morning. See all of you. As you know, Ricky's still on the mend. Hopefully soon he'll be up here. Um, but for now, he's, he's still an observer. And we appreciate, uh, love him and appreciate him and can't wait to have him back. Uh, but also Jordan's out this weekend. So I was asked to speak and uh, at this hour and then, uh, of course, Jensen will, will be speaking the next hour. This morning, uh, if I had to put a theme to what we will be talking about, I would say that Jensen and I are both covering communication and how we communicate with others. Um, but from two very different perspectives. And I hope that you will follow along in your Bibles, that you'll consider the things that we've prepared, and that they will be a help to you as we go throughout our daily walk. In Colossians chapter 4, starting in verse 24, Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body, that is, the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of, his, of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. Several years ago, a gospel preacher had befriended a young man. They had a, a similar interest in music, and they had met at some kind of convention or something, and it wasn't long before their conversations led them to understand that both were members of the body of Christ. They just happened to attend different local congregations. And as they got to know each other better, that gospel preacher became kind of like a father figure to this young man, a confidant, if you will. And one morning, they were sitting together, and the young man decided he, he needed to confide something in this, in this uh, older man. And so, to be honest, I don't know what the, what the conversation was all about, but he did make some statements that are troubling. And the statement that he made was, you know, I'm Church of Christ, and I'll always be Church of Christ, but I don't always agree with what the Church of Christ teaches. Have you ever heard something like that before? If not, maybe this. I have a lot of problems with the church of Christ. Or one that makes me cringe is, this is what I don't like about the COC. Have you ever heard that before? You know, when I was younger, I can think of occasions where being less mature in Christ, I might have made statements like this. Maybe use some of these phrases. And maybe even carelessly at, time, at times, I, I might still do it. I, 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 don't, I don't always remember. I don't always pick up on it. I don't always know. But a word of caution, brethren, because embedded within those statements are some very serious 
misconceptions and misleading ideas about what it means to be a Christian and to be a member of a local congregation of the Lord's people. Like here, Campbell Road. To be a member of the church that belongs to Christ. So here's what I want to do this morning. Today, I want us to review and look into the Word of God and quickly make sure we have a clear understanding of the way the Bible uses the word church. And then, with the time that we have left, I want to address these, these statements in the way that many in both the secular and religious worlds often use the word church today. I want to address this idea that somehow I am Church of Christ. When we see the word ekklesia, which is the Greek word for church in the biblical narrative, what are we talking about? Well, fundamentally, we are simply talking about an assembly, an assembly of people. And this word originates from the civil affairs of ancient Greek society where they would gather together, they would have their town councils uh, that would gather together and they would assemble. And we actually see a civil use reflected in the New Testament in Acts chapter 19, if you want to turn there. In Acts chapter 19, you may recall that there Paul is in the city of Ephesus. And to say that his preaching of the gospel has been quite disruptive might be a bit of an understatement. But there you have these people. They are, are there to worship at the temple of Artemis there in Ephesus. And many would come to worship at that temple and there, there would be these idol makers. They, they would make their living off of these worshipers. They would sell these idols for these worshipers. So when Paul is coming and he comes in and he starts proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, they see him as a troublemaker and a riot begins. This is starting to affect business, they say. And so Luke describes what is going on and look at what he says in verse 32. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. And here's all I want you to see. If we were just reading this in the Greek text, that word assembly is the same word that elsewhere in the New Testament is used for church or is translated church. Later in the same chapter, a man that you might recall uh, or might call the, the, the town magistrate he comes along, he comes onto the scene, and he tells everyone, you know, you guys, you guys need to chill out a little bit. He says in verse 39 and following, if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. Same word there is in reference to what we sometimes refer to, uh, you know, the Texas legislative group, the general assembly. Well, this is the same word that another context is usually translated Church. He'll use it again here shortly in verse 41. Now, when this word is translated in the biblical narrative, church, it's going to be used in one of three ways. The first way is in reference to the universal church. What do we mean by the universal church? Well, quite simply, the universal church is a description of everyone who has ever been a Christian in every place, in all times, in every part of the world, past, present, and future. Our, Bib or our Bible pictures uh, all, all Christians for all time as if they were all assembled together. 
And so that's how Paul used it just a few minutes ago when we read Colossians chapter 4 and verse 24. And it talked about his body, the church. We see this terminology also in the latter part of Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 1, when Paul says in verse 22, And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The body here that Paul is talking about in Ephesians is not just simply this little group of Christians that are meeting at Ephesus. He's talking about all Christians for all time. Those Jews and Gentiles, those uh, people from all periods of history who have been added into Jesus Christ. They have entered into a relation with him and it's so close, it's so personal and so powerful that it's as if they are a part of him. They are his body. In fact, we see similar language used in Ephesians that can also be found in Genesis to describe the relationship between a husband and a wife. That there's a oneness there as the two become one flesh. And that's why Paul will also refer to the church as sometimes as the bride of Christ. This universal designation, it's referring to the same group of people that Paul here in this passage describes as the church, the one body. Other times in the New Testament, the word's not used to describe all Christians for all time, but rather to look at a particular congregation of Christians, a local assembly. A great passage that illustrates this is in 1 Corinthians 11, where Paul basically comes in and he's, <laughs> he's a little upset. And he says to them, you know, it would actually be better right now if you weren't meeting together. That wouldn't make you feel warm and fuzzy, would it? The apostle comes in and he says, you know, it would be better if you guys weren't assembling. But that's how much this situation has deteriorated. Listen to what he says in verse 17. In the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For, in the first place, when you come together as a church... I hear that there are divisions among you. Here, of course, he's not talking about all Christians of all time. Paul is talking about their local congregation, this specific assembly of Christians. And then finally, there's one that uh, other way that we see, and, and we won't spend a lot of time on it, but this final sense in which the word church is used is in a regional sense. Passages like, uh, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 4, where uh, it says, John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Or uh, when we look at uh, Galatians, Galatians chapter 1 and verse 2, Paul uses the plural in greeting the churches of Galatia to describe the many local congregations spread throughout the region. Now, I understand that for many of you, if not all of you, maybe at least most of you, this is basic stuff. You've heard it before, and you've heard it over and over and over again. But for some, maybe you haven't heard that. Maybe this is the first time. I want to make sure we're all on the same page before we address some of those concerning statements that we mentioned at the beginning of the lesson. So let's do an exercise. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and verse 13. There, Paul says, 
For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. What's he saying there? Is Paul talking about the church in the universal sense, all Christians for all time? Or is he talking about a specific local congregation? He's using it in the universal sense. All Christians of all time, the body of Christ, that doesn't refer to any local or regional congregation. And some people get confused about that. Sometimes we think, or they think, well, you know, wherever I'm baptized, that's where I'm a member, right? Wherever I'm baptized, that's where I'm a member. That incorporates me into a local congregation. No, brethren, that's not true. Your baptism has to do with you coming to Jesus. Your baptism has to do with you being saved from your sins and incorporated into his body being added to his church that has nothing to do with what particular local church you worship with. Hold on to that for a second because we're going to come back to it in a minute. Second exercise, 3 John, verses 9 and 10. 3 John, verses 9 and 10. John says, I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us, and not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Here's the question. Is Diotrephes putting people out of the church in the sense of the one body of all Christians of all time? Or was he putting people out of a local congregation? That's the latter. It's the local congregation. Brethren, who is the only one who can add to or take away from the body? Jesus. Jesus is the only one. That's the Lord himself No person has the ability to do that. We hope that whatever decisions are made in a local congregation regarding whether we should extend or withdraw fellowship are in harmony with whatever the Lord thinks about a person, but we also realize we can make mistakes in that matter. One doesn't have to be a member of a local congregation to be a part of the body. Paul realized that just as he was beginning his walk with Christ. You'll remember that he was rejected early from the local body. Acts chapter 9 and verse 26. When he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. Paul attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. Maybe they had family members that had been impacted by the persecution of Saul. Maybe they had just heard of his reputation and knew this man to be harsh against Christians, having killed many of them. Maybe they've known all this. Uh, we, We don't get much more, but they were afraid. They did not believe that he was a disciple. They were skeptics about who Paul had become and what he was proclaiming to be. But God didn't share their skepticism. He was still a part of the one body. 
What God does with those who are in or not in the one body is irrelevant to who may or may not be in this particular local church. Okay. Now again, basic stuff for many of you. But we have to be clear before we can dive into these statements. So three senses in which the word church is used. One sense in which uh, you think of, of the collection of all Christians for all time. The universal church. One sense where we are talking about uh, a collection of Christians in a local congregation, uh, like our family here at Campbell Road. And then one sense where we are talking about, in a regional sense, uh, the church, like the churches of Dallas, Texas. Okay? Those are the three ways the Bible talks about the Lord's church. Now, with that biblical distinction in mind, let's think about what people mean when they say something along the lines of, I am Church of Christ, or I'll always be Church of Christ, but I don't always agree with what the Church of Christ teaches, or, or this is the problem I have with the Church of Christ. Brethren, when someone says or uses any of these phrases, how is a person who says something like that using the phrase, Church of Christ. Are they using it to describe a local church? To say they simply disagree with what one particular local group of Christians says? No, that's not what they have in mind. They have something much larger in mind. At the same time, are they talking about the church in the broad sense, in the universal sense? Is there any legitimate way to say that all Christians of all times and all countries everywhere somehow teach something collectively? No. There's no real way that you can say that. So when people talk like that and use the word church to say that they don't always agree with what the Church of Christ teaches... One thing we can say for certain is that they are not using that word in any way that reflects how the New Testament uses it. They are not using that word in any way to reflect how the Bible presents it. You never see anyone in the New Testament describe themselves as, I'm Church of Christ, or talk about what the Church of Christ teaches. You never find that, brethren. And those in this age who do say that are essentially depicting a system of congregations linked by a shared doctrine, allowing them to express disagreement by saying, I don't align with that. And do we see what the problem is with that? What is a system of congregations linked by a shared doctrine describing? That is the dictionary definition of a denomination. When people say they are Church of Christ, or this is the problem I have with the COC, what they are picturing is an idea of the Church of Christ. It's not the biblical definition. It's not the biblical definition of the universal church. It's not the biblical definition of a regional or local church. No, what they're picturing is a denomination that sets its own agenda. And you never see this thinking in the New Testament. In fact, let's do another exercise. If you're going to say, I don't always agree with what the Church of Christ teaches, answer this. How do you know what the Church of Christ teaches? How do you know? 
Who's the representative that you spoke to? Who's the spokesperson? Who did you consult that entailed this formal doctrine that you have problems with? Because no one has that right. And anyone foolish enough to take that on is not a representative of the Lord's church. They are a representative of a denomination. They are a spokesperson, a self-proclaimed spokesperson of a, uh, of a church of Christ denomination. If you didn't get your marching orders from Jesus, it's not the Lord's church. Brothers and sisters, if we're not careful, it's very easy to fall into a sectarian or denominational mindset and identity. Very easy. In at least two ways. You know, I know people, and you probably know people, who have said or thought, or maybe we've been guilty of this ourselves, if a local church has a sign and that sign doesn't say Church of Christ on it, they're probably not sound. I remember when I was very young thinking things like that. Questioning just because the sign was different. And you hang that on things like Romans chapter 16, 16 that reads, the churches of Christ greet you. Uh, have you ever heard that before? You know, if, if you continue and read the next book, 1 Corinthians, you'll find that Paul talks about the churches of God in chapter 11. A few books later, the church of God in Thessalonica in Jesus Christ is discussed. So clearly there are other acceptable and biblical things we can put on the sign what about Christians meet here? Would that be fine? Yeah. Saints worship here. The, the one body that meets at Campbell Road, that would be absolutely fine. All of those are biblical things. But brethren, don't misunderstand. We're not talking about what is or isn't on a sign. We're addressing a perception, the problem of thinking of the phrase, the church of Christ, as some kind of legal name. When the Bible clearly treats it not as a name, but as a description. That's what we see in Romans 16, 16. It is saying there are assemblies or groups of people who follow Jesus Christ, and they send greetings to you. It was not giving us instructions of only one name that could possibly go on a sign. No, what it implies is that our, uh, that our concern should be that we are a church that is truly of Christ, that seeks to follow him, honor him, serve him in everything that we do. And painting words on a sign is not going to determine that. It's being of Christ that determines that. But that's what happens when our consciousness becomes sectarian rather than one that is focused on being a follower of Jesus. Many years ago, there was a book called, Why I Am a Member of the Church of Christ. And I'm sure the man that wrote it didn't have any ill intentions. But this sectarian thinking was clear in the way that he wrote his book. Each chapter was lined out, I'm a member of the Church of Christ because the Church of Christ teaches this about instrumental music. 
I'm a member of the Church of Christ because the Church of Christ teaches this about prayer. The Church of Christ teaches this about the Lord's Supper. (laughs) That's using that phrase in a denominational sense. We absolutely have to be on guard that we always use biblical ways of speaking and thinking. It's necessary when we talk about who we are and what our mission is. Our concepts must be biblical. Biblical thinking, biblical speaking, biblical practices. And here's why that's important. Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. Jesus says in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. We need to understand that our marching orders, they come from Jesus, our King, who has all authority. He has every right. And with that authority, Jesus says we are to go, in verse 19, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Is my goal to go out and convert people to some misinformation or misinformed notion of what the Church of Christ is? No. My goal is to call people to follow Jesus Christ. What does that involve? Baptism, for one. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We don't teach that because it's some sort of sticking point for the church of Christ's faith. We teach that because that is what Jesus says those who would follow him are to do. And then he says, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Calling people to follow Jesus Christ, it involves calling them to follow the teaching of Jesus Christ that came through the words of the apostles that Jesus inspired. And that teaching does include things like how should a local church be organized? How should a local church function in its work? How should a local church's worship? Teaching all that Jesus commands us includes those things, but sometimes we switch the flip, don't we? I said switch the flip. We get the cart before the horse and we confuse things and we treat this entire will of God and his instructions pertaining to worship and church organization as if they're one and the same. And if as long as I attend the church that worships the way that Jesus says to, or even worse, who worships the way that the church of Christ does, then I'm saved. And that's a dangerous way of thinking, brethren. That sectarian thought. And that way of thinking has to go. You know, secondly, there's a danger of reactionary thinking that assumes that there is this enormous organization called the Church of Christ, and it becomes utterly critical of any idea or concept that is associated with it. I'm sure you've run into people that have had those thoughts, had those opinions, They've had strong misconceptions and strong feelings like I have. I used to work for Walgreens. I was a manager for, for five and a half years. And one night, I remember we were in Tennessee, um, it was a slow night, and got into a conversation with the lady I worked with there. And I don't know what I said, but it was probably something wrong, like, I am Church of Christ. And she spat back. Aren't you the ones that don't believe in music? I don't know what I said, 
I don't know how I replied. There is a good chance that northern sarcasm came out, and I said, oh, yeah, we hate music. It's of the devil. I hope that's not the case. I hope that maybe I gently tried to correct her misconceptions. I'm going to tell you, that critical approach of hers, it stung. It frustrated me. She has some kind of idea of what the Church of Christ is. And thinks that because when she hears those words that I believe something very specific. We see this on Facebook. With one of our brethren leaves the Lord. And you know all they think they've done is left the church of Christ. And they're disgruntled. And they write things like, try suggesting that there's nothing wrong with musical instruments in worship and see if the church of Christ will have anything to do with you. Try welcoming a Pentecostal into your fellowship and see if they're welcome. The church of Christ is exclusive. Acceptance is based on your doctrine lining up perfectly with their teaching. And if you don't worship at a place that has Church of Christ on the sign, then as far as they're concerned, you're not saved. That was written by a brother that fell away. First of all, this person is clearly thinking of the Church of Christ with the exact denominational mentality about which we spoke about just a minute ago. Secondly, based on that thinking, they're assuming that all, only the people who are part of this congregation or this conglomeration of the Church of Christ would have any concerns over Pentecostalism. And that's absurd thinking. There are many who have concerns over Pentecostalism. And they always will. There are many who are against instrumental music. But the biggest problem in this thinking is this person's assumption that the only reason anyone would ever oppose those things or things like that would be because of their blind loyalty to the denominational concept of the Church of Christ. As if... It couldn't be that they've actually studied the Bible for themselves and come to that conclusion. I have to wonder, brethren, if we've fed this problem. If we're not responsible. By our misuse of the words, Church of Christ. Are we speaking of the Lord's church in the right way? Are we talking enough about how we should view the Lord's church and the care that we should take in conversation about who we are, who we belong to, and how we worship? When I say that, I don't mean are Ricky and Jordan and the eldership doing their jobs on this. Are we doing this in our home? Strong congregations are made up of strong families. We 
We're raising our children to have a proper understanding of the Lord's church. If we aren't thinking about the church in the right context, then we need to change that. You may feel this morning that this is just wrangling over words. I really hope that's not the case. We spend a lot of time and energy making sure we teach about the care that should be given when we talk about the creator of this world. When we use the name of our God, the Father. And we recognize the care needed in how we speak of the Father and how we speak of Jesus, his Son. How we ought to use his name in a reverent way. An appropriate way. We accept the importance of that. Brethren, if you recognize the care needed in how you speak about the Father and how you speak about Jesus the Son, you better recognize the care required when you talk about the bride of Christ. It's not wrangling over words. It's speaking the way that the Bible speaks. Jesus has called us to follow him. He has called us to be his disciples and be part of his church. And there's only one way that any of us can do that. And that is to read what Jesus said. To study what Jesus said. And to obey what Jesus said. And that requires each person here who wants to be a follower of Jesus Christ to do the hard work of studying the Bible for yourselves. And sometimes we, we do far less reading of God's will and more listening to the dialogue of man. We fail to understand what God calls us to do and how we follow Jesus and what it means to simply be a member of his church. Let's return to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to start a little bit earlier in the chapter. Paul says in Colossians 1, 9, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. That is our goal today, brethren. And that is what being a Christian is all about. I am not Church of Christ. I am a Christian. A member of the body. I meet with the saints that worship at Campbell Road. And we are autonomous. We don't follow some doctrine of a conglomerate of churches. We follow Jesus. And sometimes we make mistakes. Sometimes we do things the wrong way. But that's on us. It's not on the Lord's church. And our hope and our prayer is that as we live each day and as we continue on as a local congregation, 
We are simply doing it Jesus' way. I really appreciate your attention this morning. Always appreciate the, the encouragement and your kind thoughts. It's difficult stuff to talk about. But if you have any questions at all, Ricky will be happy to take those. We led in a closing prayer and a closing song, and then go to our classes. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can. But thank you for connecting with us.